Welcome back to the Beacons of Bravery podcast. I know it's been a while, but you're in for a real treat because today's guest is Shannon Wallace. She is an author, she's a consultant and a coach to leaders who want to encourage their teams to make the results that they want in the world, and not just teams and leaders, you and I. So if you're feeling stuck in life, as I have been for a while, and we'll get into that in future episodes, uh, you cannot miss this one. And as Shannon talks about her book and her trip to the Camino, I want you to listen especially to the Day of the Devils that is part of the Camino, because uh, that's what I've been going through. That's what many of us have been going through. And it also shows a way out. So we'll go in future podcasts to what's been happening lately, but I just want to encourage you to listen in because you will be encouraged to start your new year or whenever you're listening to this tomorrow on a different foot. So please tune in and enjoy. Welcome to the Beacons of Bravery podcast. I'm your host, Carrie Norman, former perfectionist, people pleaser, and rule follower who woke up one day and realized I'd been living somebody else's dream because of my fear of stepping outside the lines. That's why I started this podcast, to interview authors, entrepreneurs, and everyday people who learn to overcome their fears and obstacles in order to live the life of their dreams, to shine the light on how we can live the life of our dreams. Shannon Wallace, thank you for joining us on the Beacons of Bravery podcast. I am looking forward to our conversation. Oh, well, Carrie, let me just say thank you. I'm delighted to be with you today. So I love what you're doing, and I'm glad to be a part of it. Thank you. And full disclosure, this is our second recording. We had some uh, technical issues the first time, but usually the second time around, it's better, don't you think? Well, I hope so. And I told you, um, I just shared and we can talk about later how I have some updates since our last one that I think are pretty relevant and exciting. Yeah. Well, first tell us, where are you in the world? Where are you calling in from today? So I live in Bellevue, Washington, which is a suburb of of Seattle. It's on uh, the east side of Seattle across Lake Washington. Nice. I did a brief stint in Seattle in college my freshman year, and then I moved back to Oregon. So I love that neck of the woods. And um, Shannon and I were connected by a previous guest, Jenny Lisk. Um, She was probably on episode 30, 31, something like that. And she was a very popular guest. And I'm very happy that she connected us. Yeah, I'm, I'm so excited that she did as well. Because again, like I said, I love what you're doing with Beacons of Bravery. Uh, Jenny is a neighbor of mine, and her book is phenomenal. And I know since you already have the podcast, we won't go into that, but I really appreciate her work as well, what she's doing to help people. There must be a bunch of authors in your neighborhood up there in Seattle, huh? <laughs> Maybe. I think probably the most famous one right now is uh, the one who wrote Bridgerton, the whole Bridgerton series. Oh. But that's a totally different topic. Wow. Yeah. Very popular. So I usually like to start out with kind of a fun question, which might lead other places. And that is, what social group were you a part of in high school? And how do you think that has had an impact on your life? 
So I think that's a great question because I think there's what people perceived me to be in and how I really felt, what I thought was true. And this has really informed who I am today. So I think, you know, I was, I would tell you as a a young kid, I was pretty shy. I was shy because there were a lot of, there was a ton of dysfunction in my family. And the way that I stood out was through doing well in school and being really actively involved. And then as I got into high school, I wanted to break out of my shyness. And I made a point of being quite extroverted. And I would see this relief in people's eyes when I'd go up to them and introduce myself. But I felt like I was a little bit of a fraud because it didn't feel completely me. And it was different from how I'd been in middle school. And it was often to mask all this massive dysfunction that was going on in my own home. So, you know, I grew up in a family where there was mental illness, mental illness there was alcoholism, there was um, divorce. There was living under the poverty line, and I so desperately wanted to fit in. And so I think I overcompensated by being overly outgoing and also um, being really involved. It was my escape. And so I think people thought I was probably quite popular. And, you know, I dated the captain of the football team. I looked good, right? Right. But it, it felt like a bit of a sham because also nobody really knew me. And that carried itself into my college years where I decided I didn't want to be that way anymore. And I started to let some of my guard down. And when I got to college, that's where I started making friendships that were more authentic. And authenticity has really informed my life and my work. And if you read my book, I think most people think, wow, does she have any boundaries? But I do. (laughs) But I'm, you know, it's a very intimate book. So you're going to get an kind of an inside perspective on my life and how I think about things in the world. So, so it had a big impact on me. Very interesting. And I think a lot of people can relate with that, a dysfunctional at home and you're trying to look a certain way at school or in life in general. And you mentioned your book and we're going to get into that, but I want to ask you in general, what do you do for a living today? So I'm a consultant and coach. So I work with individuals, um, leaders in particular, their teams, and then the high potential leaders in their organizations to enable them to achieve the results they most want to create in the world. And I have been doing this type of work in some way, shape, or form for around 30 years now. And I started in what we can think of as big consulting. I started at Cooper's and Library and then Price Waterhouse, and then I went internally with Coca-Cola. And from Coca-Cola, I joined Microsoft, where I was asked to lead a global change uh, in the area of high potential leadership development. It didn't exist. And so I was able to bring together a team and we created it for the company. And it really informed how I think about leadership and how I think about change. But for me, change isn't just professional. It was, as I mentioned, I came from this really dysfunctional home where I was trying to hide what was going on. And especially coming from under the poverty line. And I want, to, I, want, I want to say something about that because in the United States, I grew up in the, under the poverty line, but I've worked on six continents. I have seen real poverty. And I think I grew up quite privileged and having that global perspective has changed how I felt about my childhood. And, but anybody who would have looked at it from the outside at that time would have said, our, my family was really struggling. And I was able to change my situation in life by getting an education. And that education has enabled me to live in one of the most affluent communities in our country. 
My life is completely different than how I grew up. And that's why I believe that change is truly possible. I am the American dream, but I'm not an NBA athlete. I'm not a famous musician or, you know, performer. And I'm just your average person who's, you know, really worked hard to change my situation in life. And I also had a lot of luck along the way. So I'm grateful for that. So you mentioned change and you changed a lot. And that's the title of your book, We the Change. What's the subtitle? Remind me. Launching Big Ideas and Creating New Realities. And it's focused on helping people who are like my mom, who uh, were struggling themselves, didn't have the support network to enable them to launch their own big ideas. And so it is personal story. And then that's part one. And then part two is more than 40 coaching exercises that I actually use with my clients to enable them to enable the reader to launch a big idea and create a new reality. And I'm quite proud of that because most books that talk about change give a lot of academic uh, rhetoric, but they don't actually tell you how to do it. And I think you need both. I think you need to kind of know the story of somebody making a change and then see how you can do it also. So I'm. Yeah, I'm really super excited about my book. I totally agree. And I thank you for sending me a copy that I could read so that I can uh, relate to what we're saying today. It's an excellent book and I highly recommend everyone go out and get it. And we're gonna talk through a couple of things in your book, but I wanna first ask you, what made you decide to write the book and how did you discover the topic that you wanted to write on? So it, it, it really, the way it started was I was in a rapid coaching exercise. So coaches go through a process of getting, continually to build their own skills. I was in a certification workshop and uh, the coach, my peer coach who was working with me said, hey, what's something you want to create? And it just burst out of my lips. Uh, you know, I said, oh, I'm going to write a book. And I was kind of taken aback. So this is happening very quickly. So I said, I'm going to write a book. And he said, who's the book for? And I said, it's for my daughters. And he said, what's it about? I said, it's about making your dreams come true. And then I stopped and paused and thought, am I going to do this? And the immediate answer I had inside was yes. And I've contributed to six other books. So I've written chapters. I know how long that takes. So I was kind of like, oh my gosh, do I really want to do this? But in a way, it really mirrors my Camino experience because the first time I heard about the Camino, it kind of started the same way. So uh, the Camino is El Camino de Santiago. It's a 500-mile footpath across northern Spain. And I use it as a metaphor for how we make big ideas and new realities come to life. So it is the story, then, of my walking the Camino for the first time. I've now walked it three times. Walking it the first time and what it was required for me, who was not an athlete, not a hiker, to actually make that happen. And so that's how it got started. But when I started it and I was thinking about my daughters, I really wanted to be able to leave my daughters some sort of a legacy of what I had learned in my life. And about a year before this all had transpired, my mom had suffered a major stroke. And when she suffered the stroke, she then needed 24-hour custodial care. She had been a working artist into her 70s, and she could not, she could no longer create artwork. 
And I think that was really in the back of my mind, how, what would happen if something happened to me? And I never left this message for my own daughters. And I wanted that to happen. And then I realized as I started writing the book that I was really writing the book for people like my mom, who in their mid twenties to late thirties might just need some support and can't afford to go out and hire a coach like me, but could do it if they had a roadmap that could show them, this is how you get started. This is how you overcome those moments when you think you can't move forward. Mm -hmm. And this is how you kind of create a group around you to support you. So that's really what uh, it evolved. You know, I had this initial idea, but it became something more than what I initially thought it would be. Yeah. So it's been an interesting journey in and of itself. And interestingly enough, you're the second guest I've had in the last couple of months who has walked the Camino. And so I'm thinking this is more than a nudge, you know, for me to do it because it's been on my heart. So I'm excited to get into this with you. So I like how you mentioned um, that it's a roadmap for people wanting to go somewhere. And I want to just give a little quote out of your book and you can tell me what that means because I thought it was very pertinent um, to people with big dreams. And it's a quote from chapter 10 and it says, in myths, dragons are found guarding treasure. The bigger the dragon, the bigger the treasure. Both meaning your dragons and the way they the way you respond to them can determine whether you climb out of the pit or stall and fail to reach your destination. Facing and fighting the dragons head on is required to complete the journey. And I think that is so great because it is true. It's like when you have this big dream, the bigger the obstacles stand in your way. But tell me what you kind of meant from that whole thing. I think we all have something that I call our inner critic that is telling us all the reasons we will fail. I think the inner critic is a big liar. <laughs> I think it's, it's an illusion. The, the reality is we, I think if we have a dream, we are meant to fulfill it. Yeah, I think it's, I, I believe in the soul. I believe in, um, a, I believe in a higher spirit. I believe in something greater than us that's directing us. And I believe if we have a dream of something we want to create, we are being called to create it. And when we are called to create it, there is this inner critic who is working very hard against it. And it's every nasty thing we've ever told ourselves about ourselves, but they're all a bunch of lies. And so it, it does take some effort, though, I think, to meet all of those lies head on and either fake it till you make it, work as if they don't exist or really work to overcome and work, you know, kind of jump the hurdle, so to speak, of getting yourself past that point of letting yourself buy into it. I mean, some days um, I will just wake up and say to myself, well, if I was really my full potential, what would I do today? And then act as if I am living as that person. Because really, you know, I'm the only person who's getting in my own way. Mm -hmm. There are obstacles out there, sure. It could be money, resources, all sorts of things. But it's ultimately what I tell myself. There's always a way to start. And especially in today's age, with social media the way it is, people just get started on all sorts of things with, you know, very few resources. 
Right. So I just say go for it. So during this trip down the Camino, your first time, which the book references, it's not all just a great time. And you mention something called the Day of the Devils which refers to a day in the Camino and a lady that came up to you. Can you tell us that story? Yeah, so this is a great example of facing your dragon. So uh, so as you walk the Camino, so it's 500 miles, it's across Northern Spain. I was walking it between uh, late June and late July. Uh, during the Day of Devils, it's a space that would be considered kind of in Spain's breadbasket. You're in the center of wheat fields. I grew up in South Dakota in the center of wheat fields. And I was about um, well over 10 days. I was about midway through the journey. Uh, at this point in time, I ended up suffering from 16 blisters on this journey. This is highly unusual, by the way. So most people get maybe one or two blisters in the 30 days that they're walking. I had them all over my feet. Not only that, I didn't know it at the time, I was allergic to adhesive that you would find in Band-Aids. And so I had a rash everywhere that I had put gauze and surgical tape to hold the gauze in place. So I was pretty miserable from that standpoint. And as I was walking the Day of Devils, this space where you walk for over 20 miles and you have no access to shade or well water. So you have to carry extra water with you during that day. I decided to contemplate the three truths that all pilgrims hear about the Camino. Now, why I chose this day to contemplate these three truths, I don't know, but I think every, there's divine intervention. And these are the three truths. One, the Camino calls you. So if you read my story, you'll see how I was called to the Camino, something I'd never heard about before I heard about it. The, the second is that the Camino is a metaphor for life. And the third is everyone's Camino is different. And so on this day of devils, I was contemplating these three things. And especially if the Camino is a metaphor for life, what does that mean for me? So before I went on the Camino, just in very quick succession, I've already told you I had this kind of, you know, challenging slash traumatic childhood. And right that the year and a half before I started to walk the Camino, several things happened in rapid succession. My husband and I moved to Vienna, Austria for my job with Coke. I took a job as the chief of staff for the president of Central Europe in Eurasia. My husband left his job with Accenture. And six weeks into the job, I lost my job because there was a political reshuffling. The CEO was removed by the board. A new CEO came on board. He wasn't, he didn't like the president of Central Europe in Eurasia. And my job was tied to his. And I had no job. And my husband had no job. Mm. So we went through that. We kind of uh, recalibrated. We found ourselves about nine months later living in Madrid. My husband is half Spanish, half American, and he's in the job. And three months into the job, he's miserable. So he's in the job. He's miserable. This is a guy who's a Marine. He is so strong kind of mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Nothing bothers him. And he was bothered. So he leaves that job. He joins a company that he'd been a part of in the United States as their European representative. It was a startup and it was 100% commission. So we felt really confident because of his language ability and all sorts of things that this would be fine. But a couple of months into the new job, we find out I'm pregnant. 
And now we have, he's hundred percent commission. We have no money coming in. And we decided that we didn't want to leave Europe quite yet. We didn't know what to do. We knew that he had already started building some relationships. And we decided that three months in after I passed my first trimester, that he would go back to the U.S. to Camp Lejeune. And he would do a three-month Marine Reserve assignment. And that would ensure that we had some money coming in. And meanwhile, he would maintain the contacts that he had started building just through email and phone calls. And we would give it a little more time to take off in Europe. So this was great. He takes off. And on the day that he leaves, I find out that I have miscarried. And I was completely devastated. Mm -hmm. We made it through the summer. We were looking forward to him coming home on September 15th. This was 2001. And September 11th happened. And he is already active on active duty with Marines and he is mobilized. And so now he is not coming home to me uh, because he worked in um, with satellite systems and communications. He ended up in Stuttgart, Germany, but we still weren't allowed to be together. So I stayed in Spain uh, on his way to Stuttgart. We saw each other again. I get pregnant again. <laughs> And I find out a, a couple of months later while he's gone again, that I've miscarried again. So we're able to see each other on New Year's. And then on New Year's, I remember he raises a glass of champagne, clinks my glass, and he says, you know, Shannon, it was a really bad year, but it can't get any worse. And my stomach just turned over and I thought, oh no, something really bad is coming. So, you know, I've gone through, uh, you know, losing my job, leaving my country, moving to another country for a second time, my husband leaving his job, hating his job, you know, getting to the Marines, you know, going through two miscarriages. And I'm like, this just can't be good. Right. And sure enough, it was, I think it was the day after or two days later, my mom called me and told me she had cancer. And my mom has really been my rock through all of these challenges. And I was just devastated. And she's like, oh, don't worry about it. It's only stage one. And I flew to Seattle where my mom is from and was living. And uh, it turned out, of course, it wasn't stage one cancer. It was stage four cancer. And she had a 5% chance of living five years. And at that point in time, I didn't know that she would live 20 years. So this is what I'm contemplating on the Camino. And so I'm walking during this day of devils and I'm thinking about everything that I just experienced over the past 18 months. I'm thinking about my childhood and I just had really a breakdown. It's hot. I'm sweaty. I've been walking for at least six hours. And I just started to think if, if life, if my life is really like the Camino, then why am I always alone? Mm. If this is a metaphor for my life. I'm alone in these wheat fields. As I look forward, no one is walking with me. As I look backward, there is nobody behind me. And in the middle of these wheat fields, I just had a breakdown and I started screaming at God. And I was like a, a three-year-old with a temper tantrum and I'm holding my walking stick and I started shaking it at the heavens, And then I started pounding it in the ground. And I was literally, literally screaming because there was nobody around. And I'm like, who cares? I could sink in the leaf field and nobody's going to know, um, you know, until maybe a passing stranger tomorrow finds me. And so I'm screaming, I'm crying, and I'm, uh, you know, just lost thinking, why is my life filled with loneliness and aloneness? Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden I hear kind of in the distance behind me, Buen Camino. 
And Buen Camino means good journey. It's what pilgrims say to each other as they pass each other on the path. And I froze. And I thought, this can't be happening because literally before I had my breakdown, I looked behind me and it what seemed for like an ocean, miles of wheat, there was no one. So there, there's, I'm hallucinating. That was really what went through my head. I'm hallucinating. Okay, so now I've really gone off the deep end. And I am crying and I'm frozen, kind of like a deer in headlights. And I hear that a little closer to me, Buen Camino. And I'm thinking, no, it really can't be true. And I slowly turn around and behind me, I see this woman rapidly approaching me. And I had seen her in some of the refugios. Uh, refugios are where pilgrims stay at night, kind of like a dormitory. And I had seen her at some of them. And she was probably in her 60s. I'm in my 30s at the time. And all of a sudden, she makes it to where she's at my shoulder. And she says, Buen Camino. And I'm thinking, you have got to be kidding me. Because now I know She's seen the insanity and now she's looking at me and she sees like dust all over my face, tears streaking down my face. This is me not at my best. And I'm thinking of all moments, somebody is going to approach me. <laughs> and I say, uh, yeah, Buen Camino. And I just motion for her to move on because all people never, no one ever walked with me. My legs are really short. I'm under five feet tall. And so everybody would pass me because you have to kind of walk at your own pace. And she starts making pace with me. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. And she says again, Buen Camino. And I said, yeah, I'm just ready to die. And she points to a marker, the stone marker on the side of the road. And she says, it was his day to die, but it is not your day to die. For I am here to walk with you. And to this day, that still gives me chills because mm -hmm. I, I, I looked at her. I was like, what is she saying? And I looked at the markers. And when somebody has passed away, they'll put uh, like a stack of stones. And he, literally at that moment, we're passing a stack of stones. And she repeats it. It was his day to die. It is not your day to die because I am here to walk with you. Wow. And then I just, I just burst out crying. I, I mean, in those moments when I had felt and I'm screaming at God that he had really abandoned me, God had really abandoned me and left me alone. I have somebody appear out of nowhere. And personally, I think there are angels on earth because I think mm -hmm. this woman was somehow a messenger or an angel of God that showed up to walk with me. And my, what I will tell you is probably the hardest moment in my life. It's hard to describe it. Yeah. You can tell I'm a little choked up. It's, it's hard to describe. I was at my bottom on that yeah. day. And here this person starts walking with me and that makes sense that. And so as we're walking and I'm kind of recovering myself and she was just very kind. Um, she says nothing to me about what's going on. How are you doing? She just walks with me. And finally I asked her, why are you walking with me? I said, nobody walks with me. And she said, because it was your day. And mm -hmm. I said, what do you mean by that? And she said, every morning I get up and I look for the person who needs me. And today was your day. Wow. So I'm here to walk with you. And that 
again, just gutted me. And it completely changed my life because I thought all of those doubts I had carried where I really believed I was alone. I believe that uh, because I have a strong faith in God, I, I had a real strong belief that I, I believed in God and I believe that God was there for people and that God, instead of being there for me, had given me intelligence and resourcefulness and optimism. God had gifted me, given me these gifts yeah. so that I could take care of myself. And that I, um, because God had given me all of those gifts, that God had to work on other people who needed, didn't have as many gifts mm-hmm. and had to be more present for them. And then to have this moment of really believing I'm alone and the gifts aren't enough, by the way, <laughs> and um, I'm tired of being alone, that it was just a complete illusion. And it changed me. To, in, a, in several ways, I've never, ever thought I was alone again, mm-hmm. that when I do feel kind of low, I reach out and say, hey, I talked to the Holy Spirit. What do I need to learn in this moment from this lesson? Yeah. Make it a little clearer because sometimes I'm dense <laughs> and um, I just want the answer. <laughs> and so, um, and also, I'm not, I was never really great at asking for help. Yeah. And when I really then reflected, I was like, gosh, there were a lot of other moments probably when the messenger was there and I wasn't paying attention. And if I just asked for some help, I could have sped up the whole process of getting some help. Yeah. And so that is foundational in the story I tell that we have to reach out for our supporters. And I give, I talk about it in um, first steps in chapter four, how important it is to identify supporters. Because they're the ones who then ask you, as you launch your big idea, uh, how's it going? Mm-hmm. And you start to feel a bit beholden to them. Like, I've got to finish this. I mean, there were moments when I thought of stopping writing the book. And people would say, how's the book coming along? I feel like, oh, my gosh, I've really got to finish this thing. <laughs> so, you know, totally. it's, yeah. it's um, yeah. So bottom line, we're not alone. Right. I hear two things in that story. Well, one thing in that story, and then I have a follow-up question is it seemed like it was surrender. I mean, we're all, I'm, I'm a person like you that feels like I'm strong. I'm, I can, I'm capable. I can do this. But when you realize your life is crashing down or you feel alone, you have to say, no, I can't, I got to surrender, you know, like you said, but also speaking of supporters, your husband joined you at some point along this way, Joe, right? Yeah. And he had, when you were not in a good place, right? And being, yeah, before the wheat field. <laughs> yeah. Well, being the yeah. uh, Marine he is or was, his advice or what he told you was it wouldn't be a pilgrimage if it weren't challenging. How'd you feel about that advice? So I will say, Joe is probably one of, well, he's my number one supporter other than my mom. My mom has always thought I could hang the moon and stars. And, you know, we want all of our moms to be like that. Mm-hmm. And Joe is very similar. And so, uh, first of all, Joe was the one who really encouraged me to walk the Camino. Um, that's another part of the story. So he's the one who said, you should go. Well, I, he knew um, I, how broken I was after everything that I'd been through in the past year and a half. He knew before I knew just how broken I was. Uh, and then he came, I was originally only going to walk two weeks and he 
joined me when I decided I was going to walk the entire thing. He came to meet me about 10 days in, in a, in a town called Burgos. And I wanted to show him, you know, he's a Marine. I, I'm not this incredible athlete like he is, but I wanted to show him that I had been kind of toughing it out. Look at me. So I'm showing him, look, look at my feet. I bring him into the bathroom. You need to see what I'm going through with all these blisters. I walk like this every day. Every day I go through cleaning my feet twice a day, making sure I'm not getting any sort of blood infection. Uh, you know, you know, walking through the pain of these blisters. And he just like looks at my feet, shrugs and goes, hey, it wouldn't be a pilgrimage if it weren't challenging. And I, and this one exits the bathroom and I am furious <laughs> with him because I'm thinking he does not understand at all what I'm going through. He doesn't understand. I can't believe it. He's so insensitive, but I didn't want, I mean, it was our one night together and I didn't want to blow it. And so I just tried to shake it off. But the next day when I saw some friends along the Camino, I was telling them, you know, you, oh, you got to hear what he said. And everybody agreed. Um, oh, yeah, he doesn't understand the pains of a pilgrim. You know, it wouldn't be a pilgrimage if it weren't challenging. What does he know? But then as we walked further and further along, it kind of became this mantra with us. People would come and tell us their stories of woe and we would respond, oh yeah, it wouldn't be a pilgrimage if it weren't challenging. And that really um, became this, this thing for so many people on the pilgrimage because he knew it better than we did. And maybe because of his Marine experience, but yeah, anything, we're, anything worth getting in life, mm -hmm. it, it comes with a bit of a cost. And it requires effort. You know, it's nice when things are effortless, but they also don't always have as much value for us right. when it's easy, right? Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And so, like I said, you're going to have to read the whole story in her book, We the Change. But I do want to get an update because you told me you've been back since then. And so what made you go back and what was your experience then? So I went for my third time at the beginning of September. And when we met the first time, I, I was getting ready to go, but I hadn't gone. So I took my oldest daughter. So when I walked the Camino the first time, uh, one thing that I talk about at the end of the story is how I, when I had had the two miscarriages, I also had the two ultrasound pictures from those miscarriages. And I was so heartbroken and I couldn't imagine even throwing the ultrasound pictures away. Mm -hmm. I couldn't imagine putting them in my garbage can. And I carried them with me along the Camino. And I didn't tell anybody, you know, I had a, I had a friend who joined me and we made new friends and I never told anybody. But on the day that we got to the cathedral, I walked into the cathedral and everybody else that I had walked with, um, was so overwhelmed with joy. And I didn't have that experience. I didn't know what was wrong with me. And the next morning I went over to the cathedral and I wrote a letter to St. James, who is the patron saint of uh, Santiago de Compostela. It's why the pilgrimage exists. And I wrote a letter and I put it in a box there where people will leave things. And I just said, I can no longer carry the burden of carrying these souls with me anymore in order to move on i need to let go of them and so i'm going to entrust them that you'll help get them to the right place and um 
And so I wrote this letter and then I left it there. And then it was instantaneous. I, I believe the Holy Spirit descended upon me. Um, I had this moment of incredible euphoria and hope. And I didn't know that I had lost hope. That's what my husband saw in me. And I didn't know. I've always been very optimistic, but I didn't know it was gone. And after that experience, when I got back to Madrid, keep in mind, I still haven't had any kids yet, but I made a decision. When I have children, I will bring them back to the Camino. We will walk together. And so um, I walked the second time with a group of friends for as a, uh, um, a fundraiser. I guided a group of women. And, but this time, walking with Savannah, my oldest, she's graduated from high school. She's decided to take a gap year in Spain. And it was our way. We were supposed to go during last year, during COVID, but it didn't happen. And so it turned out that we were able to walk before she plant, you know, started on her gap year. And to me, it's just one of the most moving things to go back with my daughter wow. and have that week with her. When will I ever have that moment again now that she has launched? where I just have her one-on-one mm. and I don't think it was really her thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, she had a lot of pain. She was a swimmer, but she had a lot of pain in her um, shins and her calves. But even one day when we walked for almost nine hours, she was such a trooper. And I know she did it for me because she'd heard about it her entire life. And she said, I just want to have share this experience with you. And it was such a blessing to think, wow, I've really come full circle and look how rich my life is. You know, I have two daughters. I have an amazing husband. I have a mother who has survived cancer um, for 20 years, although she did have this massive stroke, um, you know, five years ago, but still pretty, pretty remarkable in terms of, I really say, I say this at the end of the book, count your blessings, not your blisters. It gives me chills. That's awesome. And I'm so glad you guys could experience that together. Well, as we kind of wrap up here a little bit, um, I like to usually ask a couple of questions. And if you have an answer to them, that's fine. If not, we'll move on. But besides your book, which is so great, again, and I highly recommend it, is there any book that's really meaningful to you that you recommend to others quite frequently? Yeah. So, you know, these are great. This is a great question. So I'm just taking a look at my bookshelf. So I would recommend um, Your Lion Inside by Kimberly Faith. She's a, a friend of mine and she is specifically for women. And when I talk about that inner critic, uh, Kim has identified eight versions of the inner critic, that, the one that women most hear. And she has some really great exercises for how to overcome your inner critic. So I'd recommend that book. Um, the other book that is so, it really informs my work is Peter Senge's The Fifth Discipline. Mm. And then also Robert Fritz's The Path of Least Resistance. I guess I'd also have to mention Joe Jaworski's um, <laughs> Synchronicity, The Inner Path of Leadership. Uh, so these are all books that have really informed my work in terms of thinking, how do we create what we most want to create in the world? So I'd highly recommend any of those books to your listeners. And I will put those all in the show notes. And I'm very interested, especially in the inner critic one, because that's something I know me and 
all my listeners deal with, you know, on the daily for sure. Well, since this is a show about overcoming fears and obstacles, I want to know you've overcome a lot and thank goodness Joe recognized that you, you needed to take this journey, but is there any fear or what's the next big thing for you? I guess I'll say that you might be facing in your future. So I would say, I mean, of course, I think just like every human being, I have things that I'm kind of nervous about, anxious about, can't figure out. Um, I still have the inner critic. The inner, my inner critic likes to tell me how I'm not good enough. Mm-hmm. And uh, it doesn't plague me in quite the same way that it used to. So you'll, there's some exercises in the book that have actually helped me get through that. And every once in a while, it raises this ugly little head and says, Ooh, you're just not good enough for that. And I have to say, you know, hey, if not me, then who's going to do it? So I will say that this is less about fear, but it's um, a little more about my recovering perfectionist tendencies of trying to get everything kind of buttoned up properly. And so I have, I'm continually working on that as well. I, I, what I really want to do next, and my plan is to launch it at the end of October, is We the Change Wednesdays, uh, just the last month, the last day. So for example, um, this Wednesday, so we're in September, I'm not sure when this will be broadcast, but today is September 27th, on Wednesday, September 29th, the last Wednesday of the month, I sell my Kindle version of the book for 99 cents. Wow. So people who are like my mom could actually get it because most people, if they don't even have a computer, have a smartphone. And the Kindle app is free and you could read the entire book for 99 cents on mm-hmm. the Kindle app. I, I then I also spotlight on that day a nonprofit that is focused um, in some way on eradicating poverty. Uh, this coming month is Thistle Farms in Nashville, Tennessee. And they work with women who are overcoming so many obstacles. So I, all of the profits this week go to Thistle Farms. Uh, next month, there will be another nonprofit. That's what makes me pretty happy. I'm doing that, but that to me is not enough. I really want to build a community of supporters. So next month on the last Wednesday of October, gosh, I hope it's not. No, it's not. I was worried it was going to be Halloween. (laughs) Um, uh, But the last Wednesday of October, which is October 27th, I will launch We the Change Wednesdays. And it might just be me, but I hope it's me and a few more people. It'll be some sort of like Zoom session where we start to work with the coaching activities and I'll lead people through them so that they can start to find their network of supporters and make their big ideas become new realities. Awesome. And I am familiar with Thistle Farms and I think it's a great cause. So kudos to you for giving back to everyone as well. You really have a good heart, Shannon. It's, it's clear from this. I know there's going to be people who want to reach out to you and connect and how can they find you? Where's the best way to do that? And then, um, of course, I want everyone to go buy the book, especially on those Wednesdays when, when it's real important, but anytime, because it's great. Like I said, there's a story, there's coaching lessons. This will help your life. But anyway, how can people reach out to you or connect with you? So directly 
they can reach out to me at Shannon at CascadeLeadership.Solutions. I'm going to spell that because it's not .com that people get confused. So it's Shannon, my name, S-H-A-N-N-O-N, at C-A-S-C-A-D-E-L-E-A-D-E-R-S-H-I-P, CascadeLeadership.Solutions, S-O-L-U-T-I-O-N-S. Right. So Shannon at CascadeLeadership.Solutions, if you don't reach me, reach out to um, my colleague, Carmen, Carmen at CascadeLeadership.Solutions. Sometimes things go to junk. And also I just have, well, that's my work email address. So, you know, you might be reaching out to me if I don't see it. Um, reach out to Carmen. She'll connect us. You can also find Shannon Wallace Solutions on Facebook. So it's a Facebook page. You can join that. That's another way of reaching me, Shannon Wallace Solutions. And spell um, your last name I because, imagine. because it's not your typical oh, Wallace. Exactly. Thank you so much. So Wallace is spelled W-A-L-L-I-S. So like Wall is Wallace. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Shannon. This has been wonderful to reconnect. And again, thank you so much for your time again. <laughs> And I think it went even better this time and that I'm so happy to have your update about going again on the Camino with your daughter. That's a really special trip for you. Any parting words that you want to share that maybe a question I haven't asked you that you something on your heart that you'd just like to share with the audience? Well, well, first of all, I just want to really thank you, Carrie, for the work that you're doing with Beacons of Bravery. I really think it I, I love podcasts. I'm learning a lot from podcasts. I love to listen to them and learn. And I think I, I try to listen to things that bring an uplifting message. So I want to just congratulate you for what you're doing. Um, and it goes to uh, what I would really want to leave people with, which is anything is possible. I, I use my personal story of change to say, you can think you're broken. You think you can think that you came from such a um, challenging, dysfunctional home environment. Maybe you've suffered challenges in your life beyond that, but anything is possible. And I'm proof positive of it. I mean, shoot, you know, I'm not an athlete. I have terrible hand-eye coordination. I was always picked last um, on every sporting team in my school. I hated that. I hated those moments. And I walked 500 miles across Spain. If I can do that, seriously, you can do anything. So anything's possible. 100%. Well, thank you so much, Shannon. I look forward to uh, connecting with you in the future. And hopefully I'll be a part of your Zoom group as well. I love it. Like-minded people that. making change in the world. That's what it's about. Thank you so much, Carrie. Thank you for listening to the Beacons of Bravery podcast. If you enjoyed the show, I would love it if you would go and rate and review the show and also share it with somebody who you think would benefit from listening to the message. I would also love to connect with you on Instagram, or you can email me at beaconsofbravery@gmail.com. at gmail.com. I hope something that you heard today will help you go out and live a more joy-filled, inspired life. Don't keep playing it safe. Be brave today. And of course, a huge shout out to Steve Denny for providing the music through this podcast.